Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Front Three Podcast. Now, no, Lawrence McKenna is not great at doing impressions. I mean, he is, but he can't do mine. I am Kristen Hennage. I'm obviously joined by the aforementioned Lawrence and also Dave O'Brien. Dave, you are flying around Europe, you little jet setter. Tell us mm. more. Oh, well, I'm in Leipzig and it's absolutely freezing. Like, you know when you say it's cold and you think it's cold, like it's, I've got to wear an extra like pair of gloves or I've got to wear a coat. This is like next mm. level cold. Went to go and get some food a second ago, right? Minus 10. Minus 10. It's snowing, it's everything. It's you know, blowing a gale and all sorts. Very, very cold. You are northern as well, so it's cold is cold. Yeah, cold, cold is cold. Went been to Scotland and that was cold, but this is another level of cold. Well, it certainly wasn't cold in Manchester this weekend. Now, Dave, obviously, we need to keep you objective on this one, but Man City to Tottenham too. Did you have any striking thoughts of the game just as a result and how it impacts the rest of the title race? Um, I think it's obviously an interesting. I kind of expected City to to kind of pull pull out the bag in a way. You know, obviously Guardiola did it previously against Arsenal where he completely turned the game on its head after half-time, but it was kind of the other way around, wasn't it? Obviously City taking that early goal. Um, bit of a mistake from Lloris, but you've got to kind of expect that from top goalkeepers that they will eventually have a little bit of a of an error once in a while. Obviously, Kevin De Bruyne gambling on that, making it. But it's quite interesting for the Premier League and where it takes, um, you know, City, Tottenham. It's so fascinating, that top six right now. And I think that's the most in, most crazy thing. Obviously, Liverpool Liverpool losing, City and Tottenham drawing, Manchester United drawing, and then Arsenal and Chelsea sort of pulling away. But I think it's the overall impression that um, Guardiola is still here and still very much, um, you know, tactically very, very astute in what he's doing. So we can't write him off yet. Mm, he looked really angry, I thought, at a lot of points. Even his interview with the BBC, he talked about them being a prestigious outlet and how they shouldn't be asking certain questions or questioned the fact even that they were asking about the referee as their first question. He's right. The BBC are thought... bad. The BBC aren't doing a great job right now and they're not showing everyone else how to do it. They're going down sky mm. level and everyone else's levels and they need to buck up their ideas because they're letting everyone down who's in the public. And they're letting down... They're letting down people by employing certain journalists and employing certain pundits who are just awful. There we go. An explosive 
opinion jettisoned in there, like a well run, if you will. Dave, I'm curious though, Hugo Lloris, as a goalkeeper, world class, we talk about these tags that we want to throw on on players. This is a pair of mistakes, I would argue. You look at the Sane goal, he should really be making a, a better decision there. I'd clearing it completely or, or whatever. The second, again, it, I would consider a fairly routine situation for a goalkeeper. Is it something that Pochettino should be worried about? Is it something that might stop Lloris getting that move to that from time to time during his Spurs career? No, absolutely not. I think in, in terms of goalkeeping, he's, uh, you know, best in the Premier League. I think Lloris ahead of uh, the level reaction but not just their, their ability as a goalkeeper with their handling ball playing wise they're both absolutely fantastic with the ball at their feet David Hayes' range of passing is brilliant but Lloris you know he, he does in a way he creates a, an extra player in, in Spurs' back three that they've been playing in the, at the moment to give them another a passing lane a passing option so yeah I think that a player like Lloris uh, whether he gets a move or not away from Spurs wherever he goes he, he will be a top keeper in the world he's definitely up there with, with the best I'd say Mm. And worth noting Sane's contributions, but I thought he was actually really good. Very aggressive, very fast, very direct. Feels like that's the kind of guy they need. The kind of guy that Liverpool may even need, and Sunderland as well. But Liverpool struggled to a 2-3 defeat at home to Swansea. Can we just, can we just quickly uh, go over Poch's tactic? Because people, mm. people seem to have a problem with um, City attacking and sort of pinning Tottenham back, and I just don't quite get it because... Um, did you feel like they were counter-punching almost? I think, I think they were or trying to. I think they can be quite mm. a compact side when they want to be. And they have to play in a certain way because of the, the, the intensity of the game. And you can see mm. the certain minutes in the game where they blatantly aren't trying to go forward and they are trying to break on another team. And for some reason, the analysis is that if you aren't attacking, somehow you aren't playing the tactics that your team want. It just doesn't yes. make any sense. If you're not attacking, then you must be defending and thus doing something wrong. People which is a, a fair point. In the first place. Mm. Maybe it's I mean, because the English don't do it very well. I don't know. Possibly. I think the Premier League's quite an open league as well. I think that plays into it. Is that it's it's a league that's so founded on we have the most goals, we do all this kind of stuff. It's It certainly seems like there is an issue with you. You have to have control in order to deserve a victory in that sense. You you can't have these smash and grabs anymore. They're, they're not deserved in, in brackets or inverted commas. I think if anyone's going to know about Pochettino, though, it is yourself, given you just did that lovely documentary. Uh, another man that you did a documentary on um, was Jurgen Klopp. As a Liverpool fan, I think firstly, but then also as a, a viewer, are you a little bit concerned with this result? Because again, it does seem not habitual under Klopp, let's say, but you go back to the 90s. Miguel Delaney made a really good point about Liverpool getting that big result in the mid-90s and then stumbling to Coventry City and how maybe there is a habit to to them kind of losing momentum after such a, a momentous result. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, maybe, maybe if we talk a little bit about um, Klopp and the way that his mentality seems to have spread throughout the squad... There, the weak points seem to be the areas where he's been able to apply those a little bit less or he seemed to have broken those areas down himself. Um, so, for instance, you know, he's complained a lot about John Matipo over the last week, not been able to use him uh, directly, but then he brought him on late as a sub. Um, mm. People seem to be trying to blame him for the team that he laid out. I, I think he's got to take responsibility personally for the goalkeeper situation. You know, he decided to bring one in or bring the other in and maybe not back one or the other Um Maybe that's 
you know, partly down to the budget that he has. Maybe that's partly down to what he had to do anyway. But I mean, either way, he may he may have not dealt very well with that goalkeeper situation, even if publicly both of them are mm. speaking in a certain way. Um, I mean, we have been, we've been saying it on the podcast for a while that Liverpool do need to fix these problems because the games that they did win, people were willing to heap praise on them and the style. And this is part of the issue is the analysis goes, if you're attacking, then you must be doing something right. And Liverpool were attacking, and they were doing something right when they were attacking, but they just weren't defending very well. So every time they were getting a win, there was still sort of mass worry and mass panic that, you know, what would happen when teams tried to expose those ways? And ultimately, they, you know, Swansea did expose that, that they pulled Liverpool from one side to the other, and the ball broke to their players, whether you want to call that luck or whether you want to call it, um, you know, just just sort of un- unfortunate uh, way of having this fall, then... Either way, Liverpool were very fortunate in previous games. Now, Klopp can talk about, um, you know, the the the, uh, the decisions that go against Liverpool, those all those kind of things. It's you know, it smacks a little bit of desperation at that point. I'm not saying he's a desperate manager. I just think he's sort of still looking for solutions. Um, mm. and, and you know, it is also the case that now Liverpool, within the next, I think, five games in the Premier League, have Chelsea, Spurs, and Arsenal all at home. And the home atmosphere of late has not been great for Liverpool. Um, hmm. So let's. What see. do you attribute that to? Some people say it's the new stand. Um, some people say it's that people just don't seem to be um, as up for it. Should we put it that way? Um, either way, uh, I think uh, it, it, it isn't great for our home atmosphere right now, and it also doesn't help. Um, I mean, that's having spoken to people who have been standing in the cop, standing in the newsstand, um, standing in the centenary and all all these sort of things. And uh, it does seem that sometimes I think the press jump on those things because they're very willing to break down um, the, you know, the the magic because it would mean that it's it's much more of an, you know, a peak and trough situation. It's much easier to report a peak and trough situation than it is to report anything else. The, the fact is that Liverpool do have uh, two fairly trustable centre-backs there and two centre-backs that, when they play well, will actually do well, Lovren and Clavan. Nathaniel Klein's been out the side. Um, mm. Klopp's had a fairly thin squad to pick from of late, you could argue, uh, but that still shouldn't be an excuse considering the amount of investment they've had in the squad. Um, and Liverpool are still in a fairly strong position. Um mm-hmm. I guess we'll see. I was very impressed with the way that Swansea uh, compacted themselves. Um, yeah, I thought that as well. I, I thought the Rente's were... been a great, uh, great buy. It, it didn't seem as if, to me, watching it, they were just behind the ball. It seemed to be some method in there as well, where they were putting themselves, where they were spacing themselves out. It, it seemed very organised. I thought, and, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, it was a similar thing with Hall. It felt, it felt as if, actually, there was some, some genuine detail in there. It wasn't just get behind the ball and... and build a wall, if you will. Paul Clement, though, Dave, mm-hmm. he, he's someone that, that didn't have a, a huge reputation coming into this as a manager. There was a lot of unknowns, I think, when it came to him as a manager. There was a lot of speculation about, well, he's worked with the best as a coach. Have you been impressed with what you've seen so far? Have you been able to glean any any insights from, from what you've seen in this early showing? Uh, I think they, they they set up um, you know sort of a Paul Clement Ancelotti type system, but I think they're they're getting the better players in the side, and that's what we've seen from Swansea of late. That the side looks very very poor, and 
I think bringing the likes of Leroy Fur, Jack Cork and, and, and Tom Carroll obviously signed in from Spurs is a bit of a, bit of a better midfield than relegation mm-hmm. form. And with Fernando Llorente, they've got a player that can score goals and can work within a system. Obviously, we saw a Bilbao before um, when he actually was given a lot of games and so forth, not at Juventus. He's a, he's a top player. So I think they're, they, they do look a bit better than um, under, under previous management. Obviously, our, our friend Bob, they, they kind of look a little bit improved. But it, you know, it's time will tell. Obviously, Sam Allardyce starting pretty poorly as... Crystal Palace manager, I think he's only going to turn that round. So I think with uh, Paul Clement coming in, a big result at Liverpool, but it's got to be it's next week. You know, it's the next game that he's got to push on again. I think that's got to be his mentality till the end of the season because what two points outside the drop zone, they've got to keep improving. Mm. I'm, I must confess, I was very impressed with Tom Carroll. I think that cross for for Llorente's goal, his second, that was fantastic. I think in general, his his play was was really good. It was interesting as well to talk to Spurs fans about him and and their perception of him leaving and the idea that he just wasn't going to break into a a midfield that was was so technical and so blessed. He's got some difficult games coming up though, has Paul Clement. He's got Southampton at home and City away, Chelsea away, and then he's also got Hull away as well, which is the dreaded six-pointer that we talk about at this point in seemingly in every season. From one promising young English midfielder to another, seamless transition, Tom Davies with Everton. I am a big fan of this guy already, I have to confess. I am firmly on the bandwagon. A beautiful assist for Seamus Coleman as Everton beat Crystal Palace 1-0. Should we be worried at all about Sam Allardyce at this point? Because it does seem as if the usual methods, the usual tactics are not sinking into these Palace players, Lawrence. Well, I mean, Palace, it's unusual the rollercoaster Palace have been on recently, right? I mean, they had Pulis, and I think they were quite, they're actually for quite a while quite happy with Pulis, uh, sort of, um, you know, getting results, keeping them in the league. They sort of had that longevity idea. Going from there, they had, um, uh, well, I mean, they <laughs> they sort of went down a notch, Um They've been through the Pardew era and now they're into Allardyce, which is arguably sort of a, a mixture of Allardyce um, with Pardew and Pulis. Um, I mean, it's true though, isn't it? It is, but I'm, I'm just thinking, what a party that sounds like. Uh, it's not a party. Sprinkling of Pards, well, a little Dave, bit of Allardyce. Well, the, thing, the thing is, Dave, Dave's been, and I think Dave's rightly sort of been trying to... Um, Bring bring a bit more light onto Allardyce and Pulis and those other guys who've been doing very well in the league. Mm. Dave, are you actually a fan of those people, or are you, do you just think they go undervalued? Like what Tony Pulis and Sam Allardyce are, are quality managers, and if, if we can't assess that in our game, that Dave, these managers have been around. Though. No, I'm, I'm being serious with, with West Brom and with uh, with what Sam Allardyce does with relegation sides. Perfect. There's nothing wrong with West Brom right now. They play. Uh, pretty decent style of football they've scored a lot of the goals from corners you know they've scored more corners than any other team in the Premier League but that's a wet method of scoring and I think mm-hmm. we've, I think, I think we've come into is, this world where we stick our noses we turn our noses up at football like that these days um, because there's a pressing because there's this and it's, there's trendy stuff when teams defend and when de- teams defend well and defend with numbers and um, have very good shape you know we kind of look uh, you know they're, they're not they're not being Jürgen Klopp they're not pressing and they're not doing this but I think there's you know we've got to credit that and that's part of our game and I think if we we forget that part of the game. We forget about a part of our identity, which we don't want to lose um, uh, in embracing what we actually are and moving forward and, and creating something that is more than, than England losing to Iceland in the World Cup. I, th- I think we can remove Pulis from this discussion. I think he's he's doing very well. That's that's not going to be debated. The question is, though, David, it's, it's should we say the summer? It's the July 1st 
or actually, no, I'll, I'll take that back. It, it's the current situation. Your Crystal Palace's owner, Steve Parrish, and you are presented with the the resume of Sam Allardyce and the resume of Hull's new boss. Do you push forward with Allardyce because he's the known quantity, or do you take the risk in in what is silver? Depends what you want. Depends what your objectives are as a as a football club. I think that's a big thing. Are you have you got to stay in the league to to balance your books, or are you going to go out of business? You know, there's bigger as an owner. There's bigger questions than just which one do you think would would fit best right now for the future. I think you've got to look at it and say, okay, right, okay, so let's build on a model. Are we going to go with Marco Silva? If we get relegated, is Marco Silva still going to be manager? Or are we going to bin him? Does Marco Silva want to be around there? There's far more questions that you've got to ask than just be like, is it A or B? You know what I mean? There's more um, things in a football club that have to be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, if we were building a football club and I was like, okay, right, so we want to build a football club that is going to be safe in the Premier League for the next five seasons. And then when we get to that level of five years' time, when we've been a Premier League middle table club, maybe we've dipped in and out of Europe, maybe we've got to a Cup semi-final. There's nothing wrong with Sam Allardyce and Tony Pulis. That is stability. Those two managers, although because they get sacked so often because of their boring brand of football in quotation marks, it still has that sort of solidity that keeps teams in the Premier League and they can defend well. You know, you look at what Sam Allardyce's teams do. You look at Tony Pulis' team. They're very organised. They're very good at defending. They're very good at nicking the small advantages in the small arenas. But and sometimes they hit good form and they really do play some good football. So I think it's that balance between what do you want as a football manager. And in a way, if you are Crystal Palace that potentially doesn't have the biggest budget, even though they did spend a you know an absolute hat full of cash on Christian Benteke, which massively for me is a little bit crazy. A club like that spends thirty four million on a striker, a bit mental. But you know, if you're thinking about your longer term, they need to stay in the Premier League and Samuel is the perfect man. And Tony Pulis with West Brom, same thing. It's and it's a big it's, hat. It's, it's your vision as a manager and your vision as a football mm. club of what you want to do. If you want to play a certain style or a certain brand of football, then do that, but then consistently have coaches like that. For example, Hull City, they've gone from Steve Bruce to Marco Silva. Footballing philosophy-wise, that is probably going from you know right wing to left wing. I and could definitely see Marco Silva appearing in one of Steve Bruce's books, by the way, as a character. Mm. To me, it feels primed for it. You've got an issue. Swansea City is a perfect example of that. Paul Clement's probably going to come and teach, uh, you know, come back to the possession-based Swansea way. Bob Bradley was probably not playing that style of football. And that's where you lie a problem. If you go from polar to polar, you've got an issue. If you stick, you have a plan. I think that's the problem. Clubs, uh, owners don't have plans. And, and that's inherently why some football clubs are run in such poor ways. Mm, a very good point. Now, you talked about identity. One thing that seems to be happening at Everton at the minute is the promotion of youth. Now, I briefly uh, had a little bit of an in- indulgence there with Davies. Obviously, I have Mason Holgate as well. Is this a good thing for for Merseyside, Lawrence? Because I, I read an interview with Davies, who, by the way, seems a fantastic young man. He, he opted not to take a holiday in Ibiza and other party-like destinations with some teammates and instead opted to go to Italy and went up Lake Como and all this kind of thing. So he does seem very much bucking the trend of a usual football. Is it a good thing for Merseyside though, Lawrence, because he says that he's been congratulated by both sides of the city when it comes to his performances. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, if you're, if you're a young um, scouser, then uh, the city does tend to embrace you, uh, especially if you're representing them well. Um, I think it's also, uh, maybe that relationship goes one way. I'm not saying Everton mm. fans are bitter, um, but I do think um, it's easier when your team feel like the bigger team to take mm-hmm. someone on if that makes sense and sort of be like oh he's one of ours you know um, could it influence the way Liverpool operate could it could it see 
Klopp started thinking, you know, I've got to start giving these these young chaps a, more of an opportunity well, in I the mean, first team in the Premier League. He's not. To, uh, yeah, to I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold started against United. Um, mm. Good point. Um, you know that they've started a number of young guys elsewhere. I think it's also that Everton have somewhat been not forced into this sort of situation. But if you look at that squad, it's very different construction to the one of Liverpool's. Um, I also think that. Klopp's only recently taken that academy over mm-hmm. um, and maybe felt like it wasn't going in the direction that they wanted. Yes. Um, whereas Everton's academy, I think, has been more autonomous for quite a while um, and has been much more consistent down the years. Uh, you can see that's much more of an Everton academy product than a Liverpool academy product of late. Mm. Um, so, very good. you know, I mean, uh, the, the point is with Everton that, um, you know, they they've wanted to play this style of football for quite some time now. And there's a reason they got rid of David Moyes or David Moyes moved on. And the club also felt it was the right time for that. Um, you know, and, and for that reason, I think uh, that the fans will be quite forgiving in that sense of what is happening at the moment to Everton. Um, and I actually think a one nil result against Crystal Palace isn't all that bad. Um, the, the problem being with Big Sam, I think Big Sam said, you can see the results of what I do come when is March. it sort of March time? Um, Which is a great way to keep your job. Yeah. I mean, you know... I, the, the Let's come back to this in two months. But, It'll be fine. He has, but he has sort of taken away from some of that integrity from being found out, hasn't he? Um, because now when well, he says something, people sort of think, well, you know, which side, which side are you batting for? Yes. I mean, the thing to remember is as well, and I think, I know I've seen Sunderland fans remark on this, is that when he kept them up, the January transfer window was huge for him because he got uh, Kone in. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, was it Kirchhoff, I think, came at the same point as well? It, it was an influential period for the club because he got some key faces in. He seems a little bit more concerned about the club's ability to do that this time round. So, again, if, if he can't get new faces in, that's when you wonder if things might actually start to be um, hitting the fan, so to speak, for Palace because he'll have to work with everyone that's there and doesn't seem as if he's he's that eager to do that. Certainly, Andros Townsend is someone that is appearing to be on the, the fringes of things with him. I think he was left on the bench at the weekend, and the talk is that he, he could be heading back up north Isn't, isn't that partly Newcastle. the problem with, with Big Sam, though? Is that, I mean, I was talking with uh, Duncan Alexander from Opto the other day, and he was saying he watched back the classic side of Bolton that Sam originally constructed a few years ago. Ah, and yes. the, that was sort of pre-Van Campo, so it was sort of JJ Okocha, and on the other side, there was someone else... And Simon Charlton at the back. Sure. Um, and, and he was sort of saying, you know, it, it was a strange mix of players who were considered to be too far over the hill mm. uh, by other teams and sort of players who were considered to be untouchable by others. And ultimately, it was good for Big Sam, but did it serve the club well in the long term? Um, yes, that's a very good point. I, th- I, think, uh, I think people had talked about that, that when he signs players, do they go on to be sold for more money and financially how sort of responsible is his approach definitely seen that argument raised before and i think you know it's it's not a, a terrible one or a one without evidence i think you could could maybe say that see it's difficult it's, it's sunderland which is the more recent example i, th- I think though if you were to sell corner tomorrow you'd make a decent profit maybe the same with kirchhoff but then at west ham you've got the likes of matt jarvis who went for, I think he cost 11 million, and then went for about two or three to to Norwich in the end. So he's definitely, what's the word? 
what's the fancy word for waste? Um, yes, wasteful. Um, mm. Sometimes with the, the finances of things. Uh, another manager who actually has been leveled with that same criticism is Mark Hughes up at Stoke City. Um, now, Dave, you were not able, I think, to see this goal as it happened. Um, but Wayne Rooney is now Manchester United's leading all-time goal scorer. He surpasses Sir Bobby Charlton. And there was a lovely photo of them in the dressing room afterwards. Does this change your perception of Rooney? Does it maybe make you look at him with a little bit of a sweeter eye? Or, or are you still of the opinion that you held before? No, I guess it's the same opinion, right? Why would it, why would it change my opinion if he scored one goal or 50 more goals? And it's the same thing. Uh, but yeah, it's a great oh, That wouldn't treatment. change your opinion. Or are you just being facetious? Or am I being facetious? Maybe we're both being facetious. No, I'm just giving you my opinion as a Manchester United <laughs> fan, but in terms of his achievement for for football, you know, it's, it's a great achievement, scoring 250 mm-hmm. goals for any club. In terms of his, his win rate as well, when Wayne Rooney scored, he's won 86% of his games, which is very, very good. In terms of his goals are important. Uh, but yeah, it was a another performance for Man United. Next season, will win that game. Um, you know, they keep making seven saves, again, on top of his eight that he made in the, the away game earlier on. So again, Lee Grant pretty much has, has cost United a, a, good four, a good four points this season in the Premier League. Um, United came close a number of times. Pogba, Rashford, Lingard hitting the bar. Um, but ultimately, that midfield has got a little bit of a problem in terms of balance without Michael Carrick. Um, so I'd like, quite like to see, just a thought I had whilst I was watching the game, I'd quite like to see Paul Pogba play as a number six, maybe as a defensive midfielder when Carrick isn't in the side. And that is just for this season. I feel like, obviously, Paul Pogba's best position is a, as a left central midfielder in a 4-3-3 at the moment. But uh, given that we won't sign anyone now, um, our business will be done uh, in in the summer. I think that Paul Pogba could be a good option there because all the under Herrera is good with the ball and in terms of how he reads the play and stuff. I prefer him further up the pitch so he can be a bit more aggressive. I do think that he will become a deep line playmaker in in the latter stage of his career. But right now he's a little bit too square. He's a little bit. It's too easy to read. He's not splitting defenses. Mm-hmm. He's not moving defenses around. I feel Pogba's the only one really in the side that's not Michael Carrick that could potentially do that and keep. The, the tempo are at a right level. But again, you know, there's questions defensively for Paul Pogba and um, in terms of his positioning and, and, you know, he does drive through sometimes. He'll play a pass and he'll move on. So there's got to be an understanding there. But the midfield just didn't quite work with Fellaini, Herrera, Pogba, how it was set up. And Ibrahimovic, another quiet game, only had one shot on goal, which was blocked. He had a number of chances that he was he was slid through um, sort of on the, the left side of the goal. But for some reason, went for the pass. Um, and maybe he's hitting a little... Sticky patch um, has been pre-seen in the last week's podcast that Ebro would go on another barren run, uh, but we'll go on to score 20 goals this season, so I'm still not worried. But United, yeah, next season we'll win the league this season. Top four's going to be tough. Bleach blonde's just sliding on the Dulux scale for you, though, aren't you? Because you're kind of a dirty blonde, so it's not the most drastic transition. Anyway, I'm digressing. Wait a minute, are you saying that a goalkeeper costs Manchester United points this season? From a United perspective, though, surely. Yeah, obviously from a United perspective. His performances have cost United four points. That he's put in really... He's, put, he's putting two, um, not match-winning, but match-drawing performances in terms of the saves that he's made against, uh, against United this season. Could you not also just then say that the... Man- could you also flip that and then say the Manchester United players have cost uh, the team so many points? Um, if you're looking at data in terms of state saves a keeper makes, you're averaging you know just over two saves a game. Um, so if a keeper's pulling out seven saves, uh, all shots on target, 
you're highlighting a very decent performance. So if he's doing that in one of the games and then the next, the other game, he's, he's made eight saves. So you, what, you're rocking four times the average of, a, of saves a keeper would make in a game. I think you can highlight a very, very good performance there. But obviously, in terms of finishing, there's some young players in there that could potentially have finished better. The likes of Rashford, the likes of Paul Pogba, the likes of Jesse Lingard, who's not young anymore. Um, but in a way, uh, Lee Grant won them the points. Uh, won them the point, should I say. Or won them I mean, the points how, in the two how, games. How can you say that, though, if, say, um, all the shots are at him? Or all the sh- like you say, all the shots are easy. Then that's not a great performance from a goalkeeper. That's the players putting the ball at him, and he's making saves that he he should be making. But again, was that that wasn't the case in the two games? You go back to the home game, the save he made on Zlatan Ibrahimovic's scissor kick, that's save one of, he made that's on one, one, of one. The save that he made against uh, Maron Fellaini, the save he gave, made against Paul Pogba in the return picture. There's saves there. Without going into each save and breaking down whether that was a good save or not save or whether that was I am or not them, when you've got a when you've got a level of saves that's around eight and seven, the keepers had a good game no matter what. I don't think you obviously you can distinguish the finishing could have been better and so forth, but the keeper has had a good game. You got to give him that. You got to give him the man of the match award. Got to give him the champagne. You got to give him a hug and you got to be like, well played, sir. In some times, you, you know, you can't beat this goalkeeper, and that unfortunately has been United's issue with a number of keepers this season. There we go. Now, my wonderful notes that Lawrence prepared tells me that Hotel Football had a nice banner on the side saying Rooney with 250 yards. That's a lovely way to commemorate it. And congratulations, Wayne, because in fairness, scoring 250 goals, I don't think is as easy as people would like you to believe. And as much criticism as he gets, I think it's a fairly decent achievement, um, given the the way that he was thrust in the limelight at a fairly young age. Now, Dave, you raised a point about Pogba there. Am I correct in saying yes and no will suffice, that you think Pogba works better when Carrick is on the field? Uh, I feel he works better with a deep-line playmaker behind him. That's just full Pogba fact uh, over his careers as a footballer so far. Brilliant. The reason I ask is because there is a lovely chap who did an interesting article, and I will segue this beautifully, don't worry, that suggests that actually Carrick is the best partner for Pogba because of how often he gives him the ball. And that might sound like common sense, but actually there's an analytic that looks at possession usage. And I'll link the piece on our social media so you guys can read it yourselves. But it's the idea of how often does a player use possession? I shoot, whatever, lose the ball. And it's a really interesting way to look at Memphis and why he didn't seem to work at Manchester United. Dave, are you terribly disappointed that Memphis has gone to, to Leon? He's currently sitting on the bench for them, I believe, in their game against Marseille? No, I don't know there's a problem there. I think Memphis Depay had um, 18 months at Manchester United, unfortunately didn't show his form that he showed at uh, PSV and Eindhoven in the Eredivisie. And, and as United have, they did have, what, seven players that can play right midfield and left midfield. Unfortunately, Memphis's flexibility has let him down and his ability to adapt at a new football club and adapt to a new defensive system has cost him his Manchester United career. And unfortunately, that's it. Um, in no, terms the, of... The- the key question here is why, and this is where the article, I think, comes into its own. It theorises that if you look at his time at PSV, he was a lot more influential in terms of the ball and being given the ball. I think it said 20% of possessions ended with him, um, whereas that dropped to about 12 when he was at Manchester United. So he wasn't being given as many opportunities. Now, Dave, is that something you would agree with, that perhaps the ball maybe wasn't being run through uh, Memphis as much and that moving to a club like Lyon which still a big club would be more beneficial to, to him in terms of getting him the ball and giving him those chances 
Well, I think you, you've got to look at the styles of football of those two clubs. Pierce at the Eindhoven were, were a very direct side um, with uh, Stefan, not Stefan de Jong, what's he called? Luke de Jong. He used to play for yes. um, Newcastle. They were very direct. They used him as a target man and Memphis played next to him pretty much as a striker on the left wing. Um, and I think that's the the difference between the, the, the Man United team that he came to. He came to a Louis van Gaal Man United team where the wingers aren't getting that much ball. They're getting the ball, as you mentioned, probably seven times less than he was uh, in the direct team that he played for. So he was required to do more with the ball, which unfortunately cost him mentally and made him very easy to read in terms of the move that he was going to pull, come onto that left foot, shoot a goal and so forth. And that is one of the issues of Memphis Depay, not just his decision-making when he's defending, his decision-making when he's attacking. Strikers mm-hmm. need to, if you're playing on the, on the left-hand side or you're playing on the right-hand side, you can't, you can't do the same thing every time for your fullback because he can start to read it and start to telegraph it. You need to run your fullback sometimes. Memphis didn't do that enough. You need to come short, pick up the ball, turn, drive. Memphis didn't do that enough. You need to pull on, hug the bar, hug the wing sometimes, pull the fullback wide, then go on the outside. Every single time Memphis got the ball when he was in a wide position, strong onto the right foot. And unfortunately, that was it. The catalyst of Memphis's problems when he could have received the ball, popped it off, made a run in behind, um, got the ball, received it, pushed pushed it back, and, and retained possession. Unfortunately, that Memphis didn't do that enough, and it's decision making has cost him this Man United career, unfortunately. And that is, you know, whether you show it by numbers, whether you show it by tactical analysis, or you show it by whatever, it, it's his thinking of, of interpreting certain positions has cost him, you know, his, his transfer. And that's unfortunately it. But going back to Leon, you've got a team that's got a lot of uh, fresh forwards, you know, the likes of Lacazette, the likes of Fekir. That's a, a very pacey front three with Memphis Depay in there. So it's going to be exciting, this Leon team. And I imagine they, they potentially will be a little bit more quicker with possession through, through Toliso, through to Memphis and the front three because it's, uh, you know, the most exciting attacking part of their side. I feel like John Barnes wrote some very helpful advice on how to make decisions that may be far too niche for our audience. You mm-hmm. never know. We'll see. Another man that hasn't been playing too much is Saido Berahino. Um someone that's probably not on Jeremy Pace's Christmas card list and vice versa. He completed a move to Stoke City this week and cost an initial 12 million rising to 15. First and foremost, Lawrence, is this a good deal for, for Stoke? Is it, is it worth that risk? Um, I think, I think in terms of what Mark Hughes wants in a striker, it probably is. It probably completes that front line. They've been struggling to fill more recently. Um, Crouch has been the number one option up there. That's given them some nice ball holding uh, skills and some bit more flexibility in bringing wingers into the game, which has been nice. It's been great to see it, the way that he stretched the other sides. They certainly did that against Liverpool um, mm. and a couple of other teams where they got the victory in the end. Uh, but I think it more or less started against Liverpool when Crouch came back into the side after talking about wanting a new um a new contract, which he ultimately got, um, even considering his age. Um, and, you know, it gives you a number of options. You can play a little man-big man combo, or you can just stick side on by himself. And also considering he was being banded around for just 30 um, a few seasons mm. ago when he was on his way to Spurs, allegedly, yes. um, this, this does now look like a good deal. Um, you know, considering the market's inflated in the first place, and he counts as an English player. I, get, I just think we're all going to miss Sido. Sido, Sido, Sido. <laughs> That's what I'm going to miss most about his time. At- I I definitely think that West Brom will be disappointed with this when because you make a fantastic point there that they I think they turned down 20 million from Spurs but that was something like rising to 25 and now they've got 12 to 15 which admittedly for a guy that's in the final few months of his contract that's that's not terrible business but I think when you give it that context it's. It's really not I that think, but, great. I, but I think Barahino will also be disappointed in this because he's technically taken a move from 
one team to another team when he was looking to take a move up to the next level and essentially yes. play alongside what he thought would be his future England strike partner, um, Harry Kane. Yes, again, another fantastic point. And, and one that I think West Brom fans have made is that really nobody wins in this because the club have lost money on, on a prospect, but also Barahino's lost a, a good portion of his early career and he's moved sideways, which I don't think is... Uh, and, and, uh, and arguably, you know, under a manager like Pochettino, it would have been fantastic to see what he could have developed into. Um, yes. I'm not saying this, I'm not, that's no slur on Mark Hughes. No, because Mark Hughes was a fantastic striker in his day, um, and I'm sure can teach him some some wonderful things as well. But it's a valid point, and it um, it it does seem as if that may spell the end of of Borny in the first team. I know Stoke fans weren't exactly delighted with his his presence there. Um, Dave, moving slightly sideways. Can't think of a wonderful segue for this, sadly. Um, from <laughs> maybe, he to, to, maybe he could have gone to Germany. Maybe from Berahino to near Berlin, he says, guessing geography in Germany. Um, you've been away, as we alluded to at the start there, less than subtly. What was it about? Tell us more. Fill us in. Um, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm joining the, the revolution uh, in, in right. Eastern Germany, um, and, and it's starting soon. So, you know, I've got to lie that the, the ground rules and, and, and so forth uh, so in, in football. Episode, it's already gone political. Great. Uh, um, yeah, you went a, to see RB Leipzig, of course, against Frankfurt. Um, what were your opinions of the game, more, more importantly? Because obviously it was a fairly convincing win for Leipzig. I think they won 3-0. But from, from someone that was in the stadium, what did you take away from it tactically? Yeah, it was a good game. Um, I think Leipzig, uh, as they've shown this season, are hyper-flexible with the ball, um, without the ball. Uh, in terms of how they attack and in terms of how they press, it's they're very refreshing to see. They're a very young side, and obviously they play with two forwards. But I think it's in terms of the midfield, it's it's just fascinating to see them move all together in unison. And it's a very impressive uh, sort of way of of playing football and and developing uh, young players and and really getting the best out of of what you've got. And obviously this this Leipzig thing, there's been a lot of work done on it, and there's a lot of negativity around it in terms of German fans, you know, pigs heads and and, and whatever. But Quite frankly, if you go to the stadium, you speak to anyone around Leipzig, you know, you, you, you see it, it's, it's, they're happy about it. It's the first team in 20 years that a team from Eastern Germany is in the Bundesliga and a first team, um, you know, that Leipzig have, have had for years and years and years and they are competitive and they, they do sign these young players that are very exciting. Players like Kieta, who was, who was excellent in the game, so good. You know, Feusberg has been their best player this year for me in terms of his assists and creativity coming in from the left wing, coming into number 10, sort of what Shinji Kagawa used to do for Borussia Dortmund. Um, you see him do that, okay, to do that for the, the 90 minutes against Frankfurt. My man of the match by a country mile um, was so good. Grabbed himself an assist, countless times turned over the ball. It was so difficult to get off the ball. And it wasn't dribbling for dribbling's sake. It was dribbling in very dangerous areas. Obviously drew the, the foul for the second goal and then whipped in the ball for Timo Werner to, to put the ball in the back of net. But it was a very positive crowd and something that you'll be able to see on our YouTube channel in, in the coming days, uh, the experience of Red Bull and I'd say yeah, if, you, if you've got time, you've got the money get over to Leipzig, it's 26 quid I think they've played for the flight, 55 pounds for the, the Airbnb, so it's, it's cheap and a 15 euro ticket so it's a very good experience for under 100 pounds to go and see some good football and, and a very young exciting team There you go, 50 quid for the flight but the memories are priceless Now one person who's teased something wonderfully in the same way that Dave did there with that video is Dimitri Payet talking about his future uh, Slavon Bilic said 
You lose something and you gain something, but it would be ridiculous for me to say we don't miss him playing after their 3-1 win against Middlesbrough. Lawrence, should they be concerned about the Pies situation? They are scoring goals. Admittedly, Jonathan Caleri looks like leaving after scoring his first goal, which is, you know, going out on a high at least. But with Andy Carroll and and those around him, um, it does seem like a situation that is unfolding as well as it possibly could for West Ham. Um, well, yeah, I mean, the pirate leaving. Oh, Dave's going. Dave, are you leaving? Hold on, two seconds. Oh, Dave's not leaving. Um, oh, it's like pie all over again. Yeah, I know. Is he going? Is he staying? Dave we was just actually doing know. a very small uh, commentary on modern football there. Um, <laughs> that was actually the conversation between Billich and Pyatt at one point. He went, you just want to go? Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I remember, when it, I remember when it was like this for me. Um, <laughs> ultimately, yes. I think the point, point is that they should have gotten rid of or should have let Pyatt leave in the summer. Um, mm. I think they were disappointed with the quality of uh, the offers or interest that maybe came in. Pyatt maybe was similar. Um and it would have been diligent and uh, maybe clever, uh, savvy to have cashed in at that point, uh, but they didn't. Um, and now it feels like that episode. You know the the TV show Porn Stars, where they go in and and they Honestly, believe no. this item is. So for those unaware, but essentially it's a, a program I think on the History Channel where people go into pawnbrokers and sell their stuff. Ah, yeah, okay, I think I've seen like. And an there's many a hilarious instance where someone comes in and says, "I have this item," you know. Uh, a camera once owned by Lawrence McKenna, famed director. Got you. I want £50,000 for it. And the guy will often say, I need to bring an expert in. And the expert will say, honestly, that's not worth more than 500 quid. And it's that awkward moment. Where someone, camera, mate. Well, okay, 600. Um, you've twisted me on. I wanted a grand. But, but <laughs> there's, there's that awkward moment where the person is left disappointed knowing that they're not getting even a tenth of what they expected. And it does seem I as if West Ham left in that same predicament. Do, do you think where... it's also though, that people sort of think, see how well he fitted in with uh, West Ham and sort of think, OK, he had all those great moments. Maybe we could reproduce those. Maybe. But part mm. of the problem is that, like Dave said, and like a number of other people have said, the issue will come that he, he is a an aging player, so won't maybe be able to fit into other systems so well. They're not built around him. But B, um, he also uh, maybe won't fit so well into another system if he's not willing to work. Yes, I think I think you you hit the nail on the head there. That essentially his age is an issue, of course, but also he is the band leader at West Ham and, and was when he was doing his best work. And to give that much commitment to a player, I think as, as West Ham maybe feared when he said he wanted to leave, is that if that person downs tools, then what do you do? Um, because you've invested not just the time and money. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In, in the, the man that is Dimitri Pai, you've also given him the keys to your attack and, and realistically, I would imagine, shaped your recruitment around that because you can't house two players of his quality with the same requirements in terms of I want to be central to the team and keep both happy. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think you make some some more than valid points re- regarding him and, and where West Ham went wrong. Um, where they went right, though, is Andy Carroll coming back at the right time. The, the, the key is to keeping him fit all that time. Is, is it possible? It's a difficult one. I mean, he had injuries even early in his career. Um, he had a bad ankle injury, I remember, quite, quite when he was young. And the thing is, and, and I've heard players talk about this, if it's a long-term injury, like Jay Rodriguez, for example, where he has a bad knee injury or something like that, you think, okay, well, that's often quite unfortunate look. It's when they pick up the little strains, the little tweaks now and again. Craig Bellamy, a former West Ham player nonetheless, was was quite susceptible to them. Now, the thing that was interesting about him was when he went to, I believe, Manchester City, he was given a special training program by a Dutch uh, fitness coach. His name escapes me. Um, and that seemed to turn things around for him. He, he played a lot more games. He wasn't nearly as intense with his sessions, and it just made things a little bit easier for him and his body. And, and I think, actually, that was one of the reasons he ended up leaving Man City was that they was, tried to change him, him doing that. Was that the same coach, Chris, who was critical of Jurgen Klopp this time around when he came to the country and said the same of Conte and his <clears> training <throat> methods, that they were... Too I know the chap you, you talk. Is it Raymond Vahin? I'm not saying so, yeah, Along those lines, I, I, I wouldn't want to misspeak and say yes, it is. If, if I'm not a hundred percent sure, sure. Um, but it, but it was definitely something that influenced Bellamy's career greatly, and maybe something that that Carol can consider because I think that's the the difficulty is in the same way that your uh, man management approach needs to be tailored to the the individual. It makes sense to, to tailor the physical as well because, again, not everyone's body reacts the same. Not everyone is as naturally fit and, and seemingly timeless as, let's say, Ryan Giggs or or players of that ilk who, who do seem to be able to, to train five days a week and, and be totally fine with it um, and then handle a game on a Saturday. So it'll be an interesting one to watch. I hope for Andy's sake that he, he does get that regular time because... An injury can can be so destabilizing to a player's momentum, but also their confidence as well. When you you manage to get that little bit of regular game time, and then it stops, and you have to come back, and you have to shake the rust off, because it mm. is it, it is a real thing. The the, the playing rust. I've, I've heard a number of players talk about how you're just not as sharp when you get back on the field that first few times. It, it takes maybe a, a game or two to to get where you need to be. A team that are fast running out of games is Sunderland. Um, the Black yeah, Cats and David Moyes travelled down to West Brom and were, I'd say, fairly comprehensively beaten 2-0. Um, there wasn't really much of a fight from, from Sunderland on this one. And interestingly, it's it's emerging 
late on Sunday night that they are considering selling Patrick Van Arnholt to Crystal Palace um, and Sam Allardyce. That, wow. to me, seems like a very bold decision. Um, it will give David Moyes money. But is that the best way to, to look at things, Lawrence, is to to take that £10 million, if it's if that's what the fee is to be, and say, OK, let's see who we can get, maybe someone more influential in a, in a central position? I suppose it depends who they get in for that money, doesn't it? I mean, we don't know who's on their... Um who's on their radar. But I think what we've seen is that, you know, this side predominantly relies on um, having a solid defensive base uh, when David Moyles, when David Moyles teams tend to turn up. So the frustration might come in uh, that, you know, that they get rid of someone back there and then they're not able to plug that gap. Um, mm-hmm. Who would go in his position instead of uh, Van Arnholt would be my question. Oh, maybe Billy Jones. Um, they, they, in fairness to some of them, they do have some promising youngsters. In fact, uh, George Honeyman came on, um, or I think he started actually, against West Brom on Saturday and looked fairly decent in flickers. He Again, he's, a, he's only a, a young man, so he's um, maybe not a huge amounts expected of him. And it's a difficult situation to go in as a young player when, when the team is, uh, is losing like that. So maybe a young guy gets thrown in and... and sees how he can perform. Um, in fact, Sunderland's elite development squad, as, as the term is these days, is, from what I can see, performing fairly well, or at least has whenever I've been able to, to catch them. Um, that's why Lyndon Cooch got promoted to the first team before his unfortunate injury. So who knows? The concern for me is John O'Shea is really starting to look his age. Um, there was a, an awkward moment when Matt Phillips poked the ball through his legs and the turn, the run, they all looked incredibly slow. Um, and I'd be very surprised if John O'Shea uh, takes up professional football next season because I think his his best days are firmly behind him. But credit to West Brom again; they're, they're playing some very attacking football, um, and they are scoring some beautiful goals as well. Chris Brunt, in particular, was an absolute peach of a, a strike and, and one that he certainly seemed to enjoy. What's the, the next contrast, step, though, isn't it, though, West Chris? Brom. Well, I mean, that's the, the point, isn't it, Chris? There's that's actually the thing, a yeah. massive contrast between what West Brom have got there, two experienced players who look sharp under a manager, mm. compared with, um, you know, a load of experienced players who maybe don't look as sharp. Yes, it's... To, to borrow an analogy, it's like fruit. There's a point that ripe becomes rotten. And I think that's... Unfortunately, the, the, the issue with Sunderland is that the likes of Wes Brown, who obviously left, left last season and John O'Shea have, have just stayed there a little bit too long, I think. They're, they're not... Maybe if they were in reduced roles, I could understand it. Um, you know, maybe teaching the likes of Kone and Digibody and, and people like that. By the way, Digibody is almost guaranteed to be banned off the back of this um, yeah. for for levelling a punch at, I think it was Darren Fletcher, yeah. um, who got the other goal. He has been nothing short of a car crash since he arrived, which honestly surprised me. I mean, it, Admittedly, he was playing in a struggling Werder Bremen team last year, but his numbers were fairly comparable um, to Kone. So the the thought at the time was that they were going to sell Kone and Digibody would be the replacement. He's yeah, he's he's definitely not that. Um, he is a, a really just someone that seems to lack composure at all times. I mean, I, I say that knowing that I believe he was the the same chap who was banned in the Bundesliga for performing a throat slit gesture to an opponent. So, again, he clearly has a little bit of history with this, but it's it's a massive concern for Sunderland, whereas West Brom, you would argue, again, it's it's that next step for them now. Who do they bring in? Where do you start to to improve the team? That's the thing. It's not a case of we need a replacement. It's a case of we need an improvement. 
um, which is never a bad position to be in um, yeah. for any team. True. Nonetheless, Pulis. Uh, going slightly further south, uh, Bournemouth to Watford 2. Um, this was a fairly pulsating game, which is not a word I get to use that often. Especially um, not between Watford and Bournemouth. Exactly. But Eddie Howe's team, as, as you rightly remarked to me before, they're conceding a lot of goals at the minute. Their, their defence... It was a defence that I think when they came up, we looked at and we said, you know what, this is not the best back four in, in the league. It, it could be in for some some real smackings. Um, and it seems that's finally coming home to, to roost now. They also lost Nathan Ake, which seems to have been a, a fairly big blow for them. Mm. Is it as simple as just going out and buying a, a new defender? Um, well, I mean, it, it should be. Um, the, the problem for them being that they, they're sort of working on a, a budget there. I also think... That for them, uh, is it more they want to try and bring youth in? They want to try and uh, build for the future. Um, the, the thing is, how many people can they bring in on the budget they have to get someone mm. who's going to be able to, A, uh, come speed fast enough, and B, um, be able to defend in the way that they want? So, Dave, is, is there a defender you would suggest for Bournemouth as, as a possible person to, to fix these leaky holes? Because we're talking about improving them just as an indi- on an individual player-to-player basis. Is there someone you would suggest? I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because Nathan Ake has been, been so good for Bournemouth this season. and it, Maybe it's something that they need to do for next season if they do fill a hole with a lone player to uh, sign it for the whole season. Because it seemed that someone like Nathan Ake that's so, you know, been so pivotal in the first half of the season that instantly you know, is recalled to Chelsea and is now sitting on the bench. They do look a little bit leaky. In terms of players, I'd say maybe maybe look abroad, go to the likes of Italy. And the, the thing with Bournemouth is that obviously the money-wise, it's going to be so difficult. They're going to have to pick somebody up from completely under the radar, um, you know, and then bring them over to Bournemouth, try and sell them the dream that they're going to be in the Premier League next season. But it's just a gamble. If you are going to get these young players and they do perform, maybe you should have something in, in the contract to to say, look, they've got to stay until June um, to sort themselves out. But yeah, I just budget-wise, it's it's difficult for Bournemouth. I think that's the big thing. They're probably going to have to stick with what they've got. Red Bull Leipzig or RB Leipzig, excuse me, um, Freudian slip. They have some decent defenders. They're not all bad. He looks quite handy. I, no, I, I'm decent. not saying it's a, a doable deal, but again, he he seems like the kind of defender that they could use. Would that be a fair assessment? Um, well, I think you know, in terms of you'd say Nathan Ake, what has been playing between left back and and, and centre back. Uh, so in terms of in terms of Red Bull maybe a fullback Bernardo was very very good uh, against Eintracht Frankfurt got forward very very well in the first half there was something they were working on um, before the game you know in the the warm up they were working on low crosses to the near post and it was something that was prevalent through the first half an hour of the game first 45 minutes that they were hitting these low crosses and they created three really good opportunities there but Bernardo was the guy that was on the overlap that was putting the balls into the box but unfortunately he plays on the right hand side um, not the left-hand side. Uh, Willie Oban has had a very good Bundesliga this season, uh, but I doubt they're going to be letting them go. In terms of Leipzig, why would you sell? Um, and Bournemouth would have to have yes. a little bit more financial muscle than they have. Yes, this is this is all very true. Now, in fairness, it's worth noting as well that actually Bournemouth got a little bit of a hand from a Watford defender, mm. Christian Cabaselli, um, who just fell to the floor, basically, and, and decided that, the game had to stop and the referee did not agree. Um, did, did either of you see this? It, it seemed very bizarre for him to just stop like that because I think essentially he took one in a sensitive region, um, yep. to use a delegate phrase, and, and then seemed to, to just lie down. 
I didn't see that one, but I've seen two very silly goalkeeping decisions in the Bundesliga this weekend. The first one was um, the, I think it was the Hamburg goalkeeper who caught Marco Royce on the thigh the um, brain, when he was yes. clean for own goal. Um, absolutely absolutely incredible. And then the, um, the Frankfurt keeper literally ran out of his box and dived on the ball like he was within his penalty area and literally picked it up and got sent off within two, three minutes. Uh, completely changed the game there. So there's been a bit of Craziness going around in terms of goalkeepers in the Bundesliga, but not uh, midfielders or defenders. Madness. Lawrence, you, you nodded there as if to, to say that you, you did see this. Again, is, is Etienne Capoue, who gave him a nice little love tap on the back of the head, is, is he right to get annoyed? Should they have been a little bit better organised in general? Well, I mean, if someone goes down, uh, then they... <laughs> Careful. You're sort of... Um, you're sort of the, the, the problem is if a player's down, it's, it's then open to the referee, isn't it? Um you, you essentially play for the whistle, but then you're kind of relying on the referee to back you up. Um, and, you know, if you're in pain, especially in certain areas, then you can't, um, you can't necessarily stand up. All very good and rational points. No, no, it's true. I mean, the, you know, it, the, the, but the point is, it's sort of in the spirit of the game, isn't it? I mean, if someone's, that's the problem, is if someone sort of taps you in that area, you really need to be hit very specifically, don't you? Mm. No, I think I think. Look, I think you make a very uh, valid point. Um, the what, the curiosity. Would what would you do if you were the ref and you knew someone had been hit in the balls? I'd have a lot of sympathy first and foremost to, before I do anything with the whistle. Um, I would have a lot of sympathy. Uh, I, th- I think you're right, though. I think uh, he has he has to stand up. And he has to stay focused. Even if he just fouls someone, just you know, you have to either take the the momentum out of the game or something. You can't just stop. Um, I mean, technically, you can. Other players have and have gone down and then have then taken themselves off the pitch. It's it's a risk, though, isn't it? Um, I think as we saw with Crystal Palace and, and that young chap who tried to essentially shimmy his way back onto the pitch to stop Everton playing. Yeah. Um, it's it's not within the spirit of the game. It is is it a little bit concerning that that Watford can't seem to keep clean sheets at the minute that they, they got one against Middlesbrough obviously but that was a, a goalless draw prior to that I'm, I'm really not seeing many here um no correct and and you would assume Walter uh Mazzari would would be able to to kind of build that they do seem like they've got some solid enough defenders some good defensive midfielders Barami Kapu is it is it a concern Dave that they can't keep clean sheets they've got Eunice Kabul in their back three that's suicidal for any defence, so that you can't keep clean sheets with Yunus Kabul in there. Um, he's been very poor this season, uh, and I think that's one of the big things that potentially they've got to address is getting another centre back if they're going to play three. Mm, so they have similar issues in that sense, Bournemouth and, and Watford. Yeah, both need to require get someone in the last what eight days of the window. I mm. sometimes wonder if Liverpool had enough personnel if they'd be better off playing three at the back, but maybe that goes against their game and pressing. But you, you know, with it being trendy and getting width that maybe Klopp needs from the likes of Milner and uh, whoever he plays, whether it's Trent Alexander-Arnold or uh, Klein, whether that would work quite well. Also considering they don't get much cover from the midfield. Well, that's the the curious thing with Watford as well, isn't it? Obviously they have this uh, partnership with Udinese and, and Granada. Granada, I don't think, are doing too well this season. Udinese, with Watford sitting in 14th, is the temptation maybe to send someone across from there? I mean, they've got... The, the guy that's impressed me whenever I've seen him for Udinese is Seiko Fafana, who was at, at sea. But a defender 
in general, they've got Gabriel Angela who played for Watford before. Is is it worth Dave taking that risk and, and just sending someone over and in the hopes that it, it kind of changes things? I think there's always uh, you know hope in that way. I think you know in terms of what you're going to get out of that, the benefits massively outweigh what the, the time that you're going to spend doing that. So yeah, I'd, I'd say it's definitely worth it. I guess we'll have to see if that one uh, comes to the fore. A team that just got rid of a defender, Jose Fonte of Southampton, who moved to, to West Ham. Very happily as well, by the sounds of it. Yeah. It, they it have been seemed... delighted with £8 million, weren't they? For, For 33 year old. Yeah, crikey. That's, that's Hugh Grant money, that. You're not paying... Eight million for a thirty-three-year-old. Um, no, in terms of that's how much he would command for a film um, okay. in his pump. No, I understand. Um, yep. Not really look. Not every transition not is smooth. Thirty-three-year-old. Got you. <laughs> not, not every not every duck lands on the water seamlessly. Um, Southampton with with three 0 winners over Leicester, fairly comfortable. Leicester. <sighs> I was thinking about this today. You win the Premier League, but then the next few seasons are really tough. Are you Are you bothered? Do you just put the the DVD on at the end of the I mean, weekend are, and just relive it. They do sit five points above um, the, uh, the, the 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 relegation zone at the moment, though. So, you know, not so terrible, especially when you look at the fixtures they've got ahead. They've got um, you know Burnley, uh, Swansea, then they play Sevilla. In between, obviously, they've got Manchester United and Liverpool, but then they play Hull and people like that. So. It's not so. I think they can pick up enough points to get to forty at this point in the season. To be honest, mm. Dave, as our tactician of sorts, is, this can't be as simple as Kante going, can it? Um, no, I think it's uh, you've got to move your side on. I think if you win the Premier League or you win a league, you've got to think about the next year, and that's what Sir Alex, Alex Ferguson did so well was evolving his side. And unfortunately, one Ranieri's come into this season has played the same way, obviously without Kante. So you're already downgrading one of your, your best players, uh, which is a big thing in terms of turning the ball over, but it. They, they've not moved their approach and unfortunately that's cost them. They should have potentially moved to a more, uh, you know, a, a change the system up, just done something a bit different. So you weren't playing the same Leicester City that everyone's researched over the whole of the, you know, whole of the summer break. They're like, okay, how, how do Leicester City play, you know, the opt-in scouts and so forth. We've watched a lot of Leicester City and I feel that you've got to be able to throw another card out there. Unfortunately, they're playing the same way that they played last season and that is, that's really costing them. But there was some poor performance. I heard um, a 606 interview that jumped on, on my Twitter timeline it was saying something like, obviously, Ranieri's got to go, a fan that was really annoyed with the players and so forth. And obviously, that's a, a little bit over the top in terms of what he's done. You know, he won the Premier League last season. You've got to give him more than half a season or three quarters of a season, right? Yes. No, I, w- I would be inclined to agree with that. Uh, no, worth noting as well, uh, Yoshida came in to the back line as well. You would argue that Southampton are the kind of club that Leicester need to look at. Am, am I wrong in thinking this? That, that their ability to transition... Seamlessly from losing Lallana or Schneiderlin or whomever, hmm. that's the kind of approach that you need to to think. Okay, if we can't, if we lose player X, if we lose Dave O'Brien from the heart of our defence, we can go out. And we can. Might as well. We can. The club. You lost the ball player there, Chris. You lost your sweeper, your libero, your heartbeat of your side. The guy that's going to switch the play, the guy that's going to make the tackle. It's game over. Right there, you go convincing. Um, but. It, but the point stands that, again, Southampton seem able to, to transition I mean, very well. They've built a system that creates, uh, that means that you lose uh, a coach, a, a scout, you can replenish him with somebody else that you've picked up in the market, be it a player, whatever. Um, you know, anything that's within a football club. The problem with Leicester City is that they had that, because it's Steve Walsh. 
mm-hmm. yes. that's now gone to Everton. Um, that was in quotation marks the guy that picked Mares and picked Kante out of obscurity. The thing with that is stats are interesting, and Kante was a player that statistically was stand out by a country mile in Liga in terms of ball winning the ball back and. Sometimes it don't work out with those players. Sometimes they do step up to certain leagues. Sometimes they don't. So, yeah, two times out of ten, you might get it right. But, unfortunately, Leicester City needed to get it really right replacing Kante. And, unfortunately, they've not done that. And we've seen a number of players come in and try and fulfil that position. Uh, Mendy, um, Amati, and they just haven't got to that same level. So, unfortunately, mm. Leicester City may need to find another string to their bow or a new system to accommodate the, the force they have this season. Akbar Noose is a brilliant sign again, I mentioned before, and I really like him as a player, so it's maybe getting him and Jamie Vardy on the same side. Interesting. Now, one man that got it right if you were an Arsenal fan or wrong if you were a Burnley fan was Chris Moss, who I believe is the, the referee today. Uh, as Arsenal run out 2-1 winners against Burnley, two goals basically inside uh, injury time here, Lawrence. I saw an interesting report with Sportsnet um, that suggested that Arsenal's mentality was an issue. Um, Is that something we can draw from this? I mean, they did win. You you would argue from the Machiavellian standpoint, perhaps, that the ends justify the means, that they did still come out with a result and still pushed, even though they were down to 10 men after losing Granit Xhaka. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, you could probably spin it either way at this point. Um, Arsenal, you know, people, I spoke to an Arsenal fan the other day on Slash and they were sort of saying, well, you know, whatever way we we would have done it, you'd have painted it that way. The problem being um, that, uh, well, yeah, I mean, if, if you do allow a team, A, the problem is Burnley are actually a pretty good side at the moment um, and so they deserve the, the respect of the rest of the league. The problem also being that Arsenal are also a very good side Um the issue is with Arsenal, they're not necessarily consistent in the, in the way that they play. Um, yes. And so it makes it very hard to analyse them week in, week out. Um, and they also have players who are very difficult to analyse in the way that they play, such as Alexis Sanchez, such as Olivier Giroud, because um, they don't fit the, uh, the the archetypes that we normally sort of associate with those uh, roles. I mean, you know, they, they both seem like quite... Um, not delicate seems like the wrong word, but apparently Alexis Sanchez does need to be cared for quite a lot. Um, and Olivier Giroud needs to have a certain condition to play in, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. I am a little bit confused by the coverage of Xhaka. Uh, you know, I mean, Arsenal fan TV, like, like, like has been mentioned quite a lot, uh, sort of said, um, he I believe they re- called him a ham roll. Yeah. But he also said he got a, he got a red card every, every week in the Bundesliga. Uh, which was an impressive feat. He, he has, I believe, been sent off eight or nine times now in his in his career, which is concerning. And, and in fairness, someone I can't remember their name. Apologies. It was a straight did, red. To be fair. Yeah, did did tweet me and say this. You know, they knew what they were were getting with him. And and again, I said as much myself that every profile you read about him this summer said he has discipline issues. The timing of his tackles. He's not necessarily a, a dirty player or someone that looks to injure. It's just the timing of his tackles that is the issue with with Xhaka you've got to think is is this something they can maintain because again you know like so much of this is about you know how you perceive things it doesn't impact them today because they get the win you've got to think there comes a moment where it does though and where it does cost them maybe against a team higher up the the division that can make that extra man count I suppose the point is they they, you know they bought on Coquelin today um, and, and that made all the difference Cazola has obviously got his Achilles, I think it's an Achilles injury. Um, El Nene is off at the African Cup of Nations. 
Um, and any other player... Who, I'm who talking can... about specifically in the game, though. That's the thing. I'm talking about in the moment. Uh, I mean, the, clearly, it, it did make a difference the way they were playing because it no longer allowed them to build from where they were. Um, mm. It would be fantastic if they could transition someone slightly further back. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the problem with Ozil, it, w- it would be lovely if Ozil could play a little deeper. Um, but then that's not really his position, is it? Uh, I, I, if I'm quite honest, I'd be interested to see what someone like Alexis Sanchez would do in that position. Because if he can press and push higher up the field, um, God knows it'd be interesting to see what would happen if you ran into Alexis Sanchez at that point on the pitch and how well uh, Arsenal's counter-attacks would go. I'm glad you mentioned Alexis because our good friend Carlos Zaldivar Mm-hmm. Uh, tweet us saying Alexis is something else huh? seems a player with such high confidence yet without seeming arrogant I think that's a, a fair way to characterise I don't Mr. think he's yeah. I don't think he's arrogant though I do think he needs I'm told needs um, care from whichever manager it is I thought you were going to say a ball full of exclusively blue M&M's no although you know apparently he needs care that, that makes sense though I mean his, his future is is the topic of debate still there's no guarantees about where he stays um he did take that penalty incredibly confidently though that that could have really blown up in his face if it didn't go the the right way do you think there's maybe part of him and you talk about the care is there part of him that whether he wants to admit it or not this is the perfect situation for him because he is as we talked about with Pai, the band leader he is the one that they all look to that for goodness sake arsenal fans just produced a giant banner that had pictures of his dogs on it they, they clearly adore him at that football club and would be devastated if he leaves and yet also he seems to be the type of guy that while not arrogant as, as Carlos rightly makes the point does seem to want to be appreciated at all times I guess he does want to be appreciated and he will be appreciated the, the, I guess what we are assuming and every fan base sort of assumes is that we're the only ones that can appreciate him um, you know, so and and sometimes that is the case. But what I do wonder is when Arsenal fans or other fans sort of say, "Well, you know, we're the only ones that can appreciate him in this specific way." Is that necessarily the case? You know, I mean, Liverpool fans sort of felt the same about Fernando Torres, and ultimately Torres had to find had to leave the club to find out that that was the case. He did fit in particularly well there, and you know, you could say the same about so many strikers that have passed through a lot of different clubs. They've found their place and then they've maybe taken it for granted. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I would also argue that I think foreign players in any uh, walk of life in England get portrayed quite badly because they're seen as money grabbing in some way. And if an, English, if an English player wants to move, he's seen as, you know, aspiring. If a foreign player wants to move, he's seen as uh, not. Yes. Like that can often be the case. One man who's not taking anything for granted, though, is Antonio Conte and his Chelsea side ran up 2 0 winners against Hull City. Now, it depends how you view Hull on this one. I, I thought, yes, they were beaten fairly comfortably. I did see flickers of something, though. I saw flickers of potential there that they were able to, to keep the ball for moments. Well, there were 20, there was 20 to... minutes. There was 20 minutes where. Hull were the attacking side and Chelsea, the, the, the problem is again maybe that Chelsea were judged to mm, A, be very dominant which they were they didn't make that dominance mm. count in that time and arguably you know Dave can um, ref- Dave's gone now but Dave could reference um, that you know they had a lot of shots in that time they had a lot of chances but mm. you know the argument against that would be 
well, you didn't convert those. But the, the good thing is that they did convert some of them. And Diego Costa was on the pitch. Fantastic for him. Fantastic for Chelsea. Shows in some way that Conte had the control and it was never really out of his hands. But the point is with also with Hull that then there was 20 minutes where Hull got very close. And had they scored in that time, could have been a very different game. But again, the answer would be they didn't. Yes, this is this is true. Um, Chelsea again, though. Diego Costa. I believe it's 52 and 100 now. And you, it's something about modern society where you can't tweet out anything commending one player without the fans of other clubs rushing in and saying, ah, yes, but this player, Sergio Aguero, Harry Kane, has an even better record. It, nothing can be appreciated in isolation. It must be comparable to, to other things. That is a strong record, though. Do you think that the talk of China was a little bit misleading, that, that realistically it was something he considered? And I, and I say this because... I read that Sinisa Mihailovic, uh, the Torino coach, had sleepless nights after being offered a deal to, to, to coach in China that, in his words, was five, six times what he would earn in a year in Italy. Yeah, which is fair enough. I mean, if someone wants to offer you that money, then, of course, it would, it would be stupid to just turn those things down. I don't think a lot of people are um, denying that that must be a difficult decision for uh, you know, anyone, especially a footballer who realises they've got a very short career. Um, I think it was that there was a quick trigger there. And I also think that China stepped in because, you know, uh, China also want to be associated with those big names. They, they want, or someone in Chinese football will want to be associated with those big names and that they can pull those Mm. big names. So it's a great PR opportunity for someone else who's looking to, you know, make a better name for that league. Although we, as we heard this weekend on our bonus pod about China, um, China don't necessarily care what the West think. Uh, and so they'll bid whatever they want. Um, yes. Or would have until maybe uh, some other rules come in. Mm. That is definitely a podcast worth checking out. Actually, I had a, a listen to it today while I, I walked the dog and it's it's a fantastic, not a euphemism. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a fantastic, <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic listen and fantastic insight onto a, a situation I don't think we know a great deal about at this point, do we? It's lots of snapshots about financial figures where there's not much cultural context that our, our guest wonderfully portrays for us. I've got, to admit, uh, I, I've got to admit, I did find it a little bit of a strange one. Because um, obviously it was with some price who's mm. uh, living in the area somewhere. I can't remember exactly where he is. Um, I think he travels around a fair bit. And he, he, he wrote a great article uh, for these football times and he's written some great stuff on it. But you can, and it, it reminded me a little bit of the state of MLS at times or the state of America and that every time I, and I'm not saying uh, Simon's deluded in any way, but it was an interesting interview and in that every time that I posed a question, which was maybe slightly taking away from what has happened in China, there was never mm-hmm. so slightly defensive reply um, or a reply, which was maybe, are you having a slight on our league? And it's actually, well, no, I'm actually asking a question because I genuinely don't know. And I think that's the thing with, with China is that actually there's a lot that we don't know about that as China as a culture, how they approach business, all those sort of things. But also I feel like it, it uh, when people sort of say, well, you know, we need to, um, you know, we, we need to be uh, mindful of how we treat other cultures in the world, those sorts of things. I don't think China are very... Um, uh, respectful of other people considerate respectful of other people's cultures and i think they, there is also that opinion that you know if money buys whatever then use it um and 
you know, to some extent, I, I see their point. They are kind of, they are, they're buying their way in. I understand that. And they are revealing also the hypocrisy of the Western world that they believe in some way that, um, you know, money can't buy you success. And maybe China are just sort of proving that actually you can buy some people's effect, affection. You can buy success. He plays for Watford. Um, Very good. Although moving, maybe not right now. I thought he was injured, but yeah, fair enough. Yes, moving around the world uh, for a minute. Chabagwense, um, a story that I think touched all of us uh, in the football community just because of the the sheer sadness of the, the whole thing, are slowly getting themselves uh, back on their feet. I believe they played a friendly um, this weekend and managed to, to score their first goal. Their squad, as you can imagine, is, is made up almost exclusively of loan players at this point. Um, I, th- I think there's not much to say about this other than it, it. You know, we hope this is the the first of many successful steps for them. Yeah, um, I mean, because yeah, yeah, that and and the fact that um, a lot terrible thing happened. Um, the mm. silver lining in that, or there, is, in fact, there is, this is almost a completely separate situation now. Is that um, a lot of other people have tried to help the situation in some way. Mm. You which know, that, that's the frustration. is a nice thing to to see that that uh, so much unity can be can be shown um, mm. by by Brazilian football during what is a, a difficult time. Um, moving to to France and, and Ligue 1, we talked about Memphis there moving to Lyon. Uh, Monaco sixty four goals in twenty one games after a four 0 win against. How does that happen, Chris? Lorient. They've is just that got just a in, lot. Is that just in Liga or is that in? Um, that's just in Liga. That's wow, just okay. just in the league. Um, they're just a fantastically exciting side to watch. You've got Lamar, um, you've got Mbappe, Germain, uh, Silva as well, Falcao. They're, they're just a side that I think is very keen to attack and is not afraid to attack. That's that's the other thing is that it's all well and good pushing bodies forward, but if you're confident with it, it's a totally different proposition. And I think that's what you're seeing with, with Monaco. I mean, you, you have to remember, they scored 57 last year in the league after 38 games. Excuse and me. here they are after 21 with, with 64. So the the sky is very much the limit for them. And honestly, it could bode for a really interesting Champions League tie with them next month. Um, because, you know, underestimate them at your peril. We saw Arsenal do that long before they were, were uh, scoring this many goals. The, was it 2014, 2015, when they had uh, Kondogbeer in the middle and he had that really great performance at, at the Emirates? Um, so, yeah, this is a, a fantastic performance there. I believe they're still top of the league now. Leon, as we are recording, have just beaten Marseille 3-1. Memphis did come on for a brief cameo um, and he looked he looked good from what, from what I was able to catch. He, he seemed a lot more confident, the team seemed a little bit of a better fit, but of course this is a very, very small sample size. Um, someone that didn't get a warm reception at the weekend, Lawrence, was Ronaldo. He was booed by Real Madrid fans. Yeah. Um, Despite, obviously, a, a positive result for Real Madrid. Um, bit of a weird one, really. Um, you know what I mean? Is this the politics of a football club laid bare again? Uh, yeah, I partly agree. I also think that it's, uh, it's the... the they see themselves as uh, swans in that sense. Um, and they always have at Real Madrid. Um, you know, you're supposed to struggle under the water. Uh, and if the fans want to complain about that, then they will complain about that. Um, 
and so the frustration comes when they obviously they're not necessarily looking like swans um uh, you know <laughs> Zidane's come out to defend his man uh, and he's right to do so um Ronaldo does need that defense sometimes I think because you know he obviously is always in the the spotlight um but I also I, I mean it's hard to criticize a Real Madrid side who lost two and then have righted it and still stayed top of the league and still mm. I think are one game ahead of everyone else uh, oh sorry one one game behind so essentially they've got one one game in hand of everyone else um and are well ahead of the nearest uh, realistic tra- challenges which are uh, Barcelona, who are, uh, I think they're, they're five points behind uh, Real Madrid now. Sevilla in second, mm. obviously, just one point behind. But I think a lot of people are assuming they'll drop away or something will happen there. Uh, maybe even the head-to-head sort of affecting them in some way. A crack does seem like a chasm at Real Madrid, doesn't it? That's that's the problem, is that at a club where maybe it was less of an issue, it doesn't seem as as the case with Real Madrid because of how just passionate everything and I, I always remember as a, as a kid being so confused by the the waving of the sort of tissues or what have you the I think it was uh tissues anyway that always confused me it, it was just yeah it's a very confusing club I find Real Madrid it's one that I'm constantly trying to understand and, I think the presidency and not always thing is, is very confusing isn't it the presidency situation is always a confusing one Yes, that is that is true. Um, that's that's something that I think maybe doesn't translate so well to an English English eye because we just don't really have those situations. Although I tell you, on a slight digression, the the story of Figo moving from Real Madrid to Barcelona. Um, our friends at UMax it just did a a sort of representation of the story. I had no idea how that all came about. Um, how did that? All, the, go, go ahead. How did it all come about? So essentially, uh, Florentino Perez reached an agreement with Figo and his people to say that uh, if he was elected president, Figo would join Barcelona, uh, join Real Madrid, excuse me. And at the time, the chances of Perez winning were minimal at best. So um, Figo would be paid £1.9 million for signing the deal. If he didn't go through with the transfer, they would have to pay Florentino £19 million. So it was, again, it was that kind of, you know, if I can sink this shot from halfway, then, you know, you, you, I'll give you a, uh, you have to give me 50 quid. It was, the odds were firmly stacked in Figo's favour. Perez only goes and wins the election. Yeah. And so Figo has to contractually join Real Madrid or they have to find the money. And Barcelona obviously refused to to do that. And Figo had no means to, to pay himself. So he ends up having to go. Uh, and join Real Madrid, having denied that the contract existed in the first place as well, completely denied ex- existence and and tried to refute all claims. So it's a mad story. I, I just couldn't imagine that happening here. Although I genuinely think, couldn't. You couldn't sort of imagine how that sort of deal comes about in the first place anyway, or why that deal comes about in the first place anyway. I feel like there was a lot of alcohol involved. Yeah, that mu- of that much, I'm sure. That again, it's it's clearly. You have to think his advisor takes the, the rap for this one for thinking it was a good idea and for even taking that risk and not saying to Barcelona, hey, look, we've got this this offer here. Because it was only, like I say, it was only, I think, 1.9 million uh, euros or pounds or whatever it was, which is not a, a vast sum, even back then. Even in the, it was probably a, 
you know, a year and a half salary or something like that. But why would you take that risk? Anyway, I am digressing. I think that takes us neatly, though, to the conclusion of this. Um, yeah, why not? I think that's a lovely point to end. Don't chase money. You know, be true. Chase <laughs> okay. dreams. Although, I mean, arguably he ended up a legend as a legend at both clubs. He did. And just imagine what might have happened if he'd never signed that deal. We would never have had maybe the Galacticos in the same way that we know them as now. God, imagine um, that. Maybe, maybe we would not. Maybe Ronaldo would be our Barcelona player. Yeah, crikey. Well, Beckham was would had a similar situation, didn't he, where he could have joined uh, Barcelona. He had an offer. I believe, if memory serves. Anyway, we're I digressing. Imagine, I imagine what would have... Yeah. Like two old men. Um, imagine what could have happened in our lives. <laughs> You're very good accent. It always impresses me. Yeah. Uh, that concludes this episode of the Front 3 podcast. Um, Lawrence, if our friends want to find your wonderful series on Slash Football, oh, to yeah. journey around Europe, the podcast that you do with him as well, any of your wonderful workings, where can they go and do that? Got some great guests this week. Uh, I can't actually say who, but we do have some really good guests, uh, big ones, uh, ones who are from other places, um, and then uh, the same place as us. Uh, anyway, uh, you can just head over to the Front Three on YouTube and check out our work on there. Uh, lots of lovely stuff. We'll be doing the vlog there, and then also uh, head over to Slash Football. You can also head over uh, to our Twitter at the front three as well with a look um and Kristen is doing a good job of populating it at the moment so looks good chris thank you very much and obviously he's not here but i will still plug him regardless statman dave at statman dave all one word um the artist formerly known as at squawker dave now freelance bless him in the big wide world great um Yes, he has his own channel as well that you can check out all of his tactical musings and such like, which I would definitely suggest because I think it's it's something where you always come away learning something, which is the, the highest compliment I can pay, Dave, True. is that you always come away wiser for watching a video of his. But that will do us for this week. Let us know what you think, sending questions, all that kind of stuff. Keep engaging with us because that's the best part of doing this, if I'm really honest. Stay engaged. And have, have a one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The full weekend and week. Bye.